arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. A woman named Karen Mills lives here. She's disappeared. I've gone without sleep for 24 hours. I've lost both my girl and my patience, and I'm looking for someone to take it out on. Jimmy? Maybe some fresh coffee here. Man, I hope you don't feel as bad as you look. I'm sorry, what? I said you don't look so hot. No snappy answers? Well, I guess that means there's no news. There's no news, no clues, traces, no nothing. You know, I'm a pretty good listener, son. You want to tell me about it? Talk to me about it. Maybe something that happened when the three of you was in San Francisco. Or maybe on the way back. It could be something that just completely slipped your mind. How's she doing? She's sound asleep. Jim, could we come back up again? It was fun. Julie really loved it. But I could forego getting up at 6.30 in the morning. Is that necessary? Sure it's necessary. You gotta get off with the tide. The tide goes out at 7.30. It does? Yeah. Boy, what kind of sailor are you? Where did you learn sailing? In the dictionary? In the army. No, it's true. They used to sell contraband Japanese radios to the uh, Navy guys at Terminal Island. We had to sail underneath the radar. I don't believe you. What'd you get for them? $17.95 for the two-band, $20 for the earplug. The earplugs were big, because they used to play them at night after lights out. I bet you did. It's a buck. I'm serious. One of my favorite Rockford files is Sleight of Hand, based on a paperback by Howard Brown called Thin Air. Stephen J. Cannell and Joe Swirling Jr. provided the teleplay for Sleight of Hand, starring James Garner. Here's the summary. Rockford returns home from a weekend of sailing with a beautiful woman and her daughter. Rockford is falling in love with the woman. They arrive at her beach house and she goes ahead to unlock the front door while he carries in the sleeping child. After putting the woman's young daughter to bed, he comes back downstairs to find his new girlfriend has vanished without a trace. Who is Dade? Jones has discovered evidence in Connecticut on the way to finding Charlie DePiro. By way of inductive logic, he sets out to locate Charlie, but finds more than he expected. Episode four of The Life and Times of Charlie Diaper begins here on Fittin' on the Air. The Life and Times of Charlie Diaper, Chapter 15, Part 1. The Connector Road, 
Avondale, Connecticut, April 18th, 10.50 a.m. Bisbee's pathetic attitude had made Jones push even harder as he drove past the restaurant where he and Billy met Marjorie Reed last night. He gripped his phone. Reed had no agenda and knew nothing of importance. Talking to Annie Miggs' parents was untenable with their daughter in a coma. The Millers were in New Hampshire. His choice was the small, white, cinderblock store on the Connector Road where he would begin asking questions. Miller's store. Jones pulled into the dirt parking lot in front of the store and shut off the sedan. He looked back at the town's building set on several hills, with the state highway splitting the town as it connected with the wider interstate to the north. Jones pushed the door's speedy bread advertisement, and bells rang as the door opened. A music box played on the counter up front. The door had two aisles and a cooler to the left. A cash register was on the counter to the rear. Jones walked up to a middle-aged woman wearing a green hoodie behind the counter. The pine scent from a candle on the counter gave the store a country flavor. Yes, sir, can I help you? My name is Matthias Jones. I'm from New Hampshire. Her smile dropped. Jones handed her a card. John's car exploded outside my baseball game. I, I, I know. I'm trying to understand why it happened. I'm Gina Toppin. As I told Chief Bisbee, I don't know why in a million years that would happen, Mr. Jones. What did his parents say? She shook her head and her smile lines tightened. They're destroyed, of course, and they told Dady. Even though he's an old man, he understands. He was close to John. But he has no theories as to why? asked Jones. Nobody does. Gina, I'll be down here for a few days. If you get any information, call the chief or me. We need to figure out what's going on. And now, Annie, she said. They were both in here last week. I understand. I didn't mean to upset you, Gina. She held out her cold hands and Jones grasped them. He backed down the aisle and out the screen door. He backed the car onto the connector road and then looped back toward town. How would the parents go on after such a tragedy? And this person named Dady. All these people's lives are changed. Who the hell is Dady? Asked Jones out loud. He spun the car around and quickly drove back to the grocery store. This time he parked diagonally and left the car running. Gina was still behind the counter when he returned. I had a feeling you'd be back, Mr. Jones. Dady? Dady is or was John's grandfather. A jolt went through Jones's stomach. Where does he live, Gina? Oh, Dady is at the Easy Living Nursing Facility south of town near the interstate. Wow, said Jones as he instantly linked Charlie DePiro with Easy Living. What was that? Jones would drive to Easy Living to talk to Dady. He's a nice man. He'll talk to you. Seeing Dady would accomplish nothing. Since Charlie was not listed in the facility when Jones called from New Hampshire, perhaps Charlie had been registered under another name. By searching for someone who was a male and 54 years old, he might just find Charlie DePiro. Jones stepped out of Bisbee's unmarked car in South Avondale. He checked the highway and Main Street down the hill. On the way over, he had seen a police cruiser off the Connector Road and had taken a circuitous route using the interstate to the nursing home. The possible link to Charlie was clear to Jones before he had even exited the car. He climbed the ramp to a five-story building and continued up to the portico 
and lobby doors beyond. Jones opened the glass and aluminum doors and walked across the carpeted lobby. The reception desk was empty. No doubt he was on camera, being monitored somewhere in the building. An antiseptic smell permeated the air as he passed the room and headed to the nurse's station. A gray-haired nurse, very thin with crooked teeth, squinted at Jones. Yes? Jones glanced at her name badge. Viola Crapo, RN. Nurse Crapo, I'm here to see Jonathan Miller's grandfather. Name is Miller? Not sure. Jonathan was killed last week, and I wanted to comfort the grandfather. They call him Dady. Hold on, she said, scrolling through a name list on her computer. I don't think his name is Miller. If I could see the names... I really don't think that's possible, sir, said Crapo, tilting her head upward. Miss, Jonathan is dead in a horrific accident. Will you please let me comfort that old man? Oh, for God's sakes, she said as she swung the screen around. Nurse Crapo began scrolling down the patient list, but Jones studied the patient names and ages on the screen. She moved very slowly until Jones noticed a 54-year-old man on the second floor. His name was Harold Dean, room 298. Crapo wrote something on a post-it note and handed it to Jones. Mr. Miller's grandfather's name is Todd Allen Sullivan. Do I need to sign something to visit? asked Jones. No. No, I'll give you a tag, she said. Crapo handed him one of the laminated tags hanging from the wall hooks. The tag merely said, Visitor. Thank you. You will bring your tag back to the desk when you leave. Mr. Sullivan is in room 324. This floor is considered the lobby floor. Thank you very much. Jones looped the tag around his neck. As he headed to the silver-framed elevator to the right, he noticed a shaded bubble camera housing at the end of the corridor. His heart raced at the prospect of discovering the whereabouts of Charlie DePiro. The elevator doors opened and he stepped inside. He pushed the third floor button. When he reached the third floor, he would retreat down the staircase. Just who would he contact about Charlie if it really was Charlie DePiro? And who would he alert to the possibility that Charlie was being drugged to produce dementia? Getting that information to Bisbee, as incompetent as he was, was essential. Once on the second floor, Jones, hoping they were not watching on the camera, stayed along the edge and followed the room numbers down the buff green tile corridor. He remembered the photo of Charlie that Bruno had showed him at Club Max. Charlie, if he was inside room 298, would be seven years older. Jones paused at the birch wood door. Then he slowly nudged it open. A man with neatly combed gray hair lay tucked under the sheets in the dimly lit, almost moonlight glow. The doors closed slowly behind him. Jones took two steps forward. The outline of a Roman nose and the chiseled face and square jaw came into view. Jones believed that Charlie DePiro lay under the sheets before him. As he removed his phone to take a picture, someone swung their arm around Jones's neck and thrust a steel gun barrel into his back. Who are you, you monkey? Speak up or I'll break your neck. Coco? Jonesy? Coco released his grip and pulled away the gun. How the hell did you find me? I'm incognito. He looked into his friend's dark eyes. Do you have any idea what's going on down here, Coco? 
Poco tightened his brow and placed the gun back in his side holster. Henny, you have any idea what I'm doing here? No, I'm protecting the boss. How are you allowed to do that? People I know, okay? They want me here when I can be here. You knew John Miller, didn't you? Asked Jones as he took a step forward toward the bed. I met the kid here almost a year ago. He was smart and he never lied. Why did he go to Hamilton? It cost him his life. He was my eyes and ears with Charlie for the people I know. If I didn't check in with Miller every 48 hours, Miller was to contact you at the school, tell you about Charlie and find me. Dulio and I were long gone by the time Pacheco let out his name. I didn't know the kid would drive up to New Hampshire and have his car blown up. Like I knew that was going to happen, Jonesy. Jones put his hand on Coco's shoulder. His fury behind Miller's death and Annie Miggs being in a coma? Looks that way, bro. He took out Bernie, too, didn't he? And he ran off with my records. I'm a mocked man, Jonesy. Lane issued an arrest warrant, said Jones. Coco pulled back the window curtain and looked outside. That tub a lot is the least of my problems. All the prosecution of this and the logbook scandal will take place in Boston. Where's Dulio? asked Jones, looking at Charlie. Coco moved over to the body monitor. Dulio's on patrol. You got by him, Jonesy. I have an unmarked police car. You stole an unmarked car, Jonesy? No, Bisbee gave it to me. That's perfect. Bisbee has no idea who's behind the murders or anything else. He's a dummy. Listen, Dulio tells me that lowlife bumcat is hanging out at the hospital like he's wanting to wait for the Miggs girl to die. Why is he down here, Jonesy? He followed me down to the Morgan State game. He was told to get out of town by Chief Bisbee. He don't listen to nobody. Troublemaker, said Jones. Coco walked up to the window and lifted the blinds, sending light into the room. Bumcat is liable to lead Fiore right to the boss. Billy doesn't know that Charlie's here, said Jones, looking at the sleeping Charlie. I figured out John's grandfather's connection to this place and why John was killed. You amaze me, Jonesy. Look, we're trying to get Charlie moved to Jersey. His kid lives in Jersey. Coco laughed. <laughs> I suppose you know his name, too. Joey. One of the so-called people you know. Right. Joey knows my connection to the boss. I have another angle, said Jones. I asked one of our chemistry professors to check on something for me. Not now, Jonesy, he said, looking out the window. Coco, this is important. We may have to get the boss out of here now and locate him somewhere else. Coco, what do I care about some chemistry professor, Jonesy? Because the effects of the medication may be making Charlie demented. Coco walked back from the window. Oh, bullshit. I was there when Charlie started to lose it, so don't tell me about drug side effects. Don't you think Fiori had a vested interest in having Charlie out of the way? I need a cigarette. Look, I admit Charlie has his good moments. Sometimes he's almost his old self, and then he pops into the dum-dum mode. I'm telling you, it would have been perfect for Fiori. Make Charlie look like he's out to lunch and then take everything. Fiori is in big trouble. He needs to make the boss the patsy in the logbook scandal. If he does, then he walks. 
He'll even pay off the Channel Z guys. It's worth looking into, said Jones. Then go check the drugs, Jonesy. I don't care. I know the head guy here personally, Dr. Spitzer. Spitzer was the guy who examined Charlie in Boston seven years ago. He showed me the x-rays and the damage to the boss's brain. The boss is all done. The Life and Times of Charlie Diaper Chapter 15 Part 2 Easy Living Facility, 7 Rondo Drive, Avondale, Connecticut, April 18th, 2.30 p.m. No, I don't need no research. Just check the drugs. Coco's phone rang. Yeah, Julio. Bumcat? He what? He gets within a half a mile of this place. You put him out of commission. Right. Well, don't kill him, Coco, said Jones. We're not going to kill him, Jonesy. Just slow him down. He's running from the cops, Julio? Bumcat never was too bright. What? No. I'll discuss that with Joey when we get to Jersey. Stay up there. The jig is up. we got to get the boss the hell out of here. I'll talk to you. He bounced off cars on the way out of the lot. Jones walked across the room. It would be pretty simple to find a list of the meds. Jonesy, why do you keep bugging me about the meds? we got huge problems here. Because you've overlooked it for years. What if it's true? Coco faced Charlie, who produced a half smile. Good morning. Yeah, Charlie. It's always a good morning, isn't it? Do I know you? Yeah, you know me. I'm Coco. Coco Bean. How are you, son? Jones's head snapped to the left. You know me, Charlie? No, sir. Do you work for my people? I'm a friend of Coco. Charlie raised his dark brows. Good things are good. Ah, here we go, said Coco. Ask him anything, Jonesy. Jones stepped to the side of the bed. How long have you known Coco, Charlie? Charlie smiled, and his eyes brightened. Good morning. Round and round he goes. Where he stops, nobody knows, said Coco. You better be more concerned about that dipshit bumcat. He's not going to outrun the cops. Then they lock him in the hooskow. He starts blabbing and Bisbee comes strolling in here. Once it gets out that Charlie's here, Fiori will kill the boss. It's that simple, Jonesy. Where's Dulio? asked Jones. It's on the roof with binoculars. You can see the whole town from up there. And who does the staff think you are, Coco? Coco looked at him as if he didn't want to answer. Listen, Joey has it all set up that I'm Charlie's nephew, and his cover name is Harold Dean. Then just ask the nurse about your uncle's drugs? You're starting to get under my skin, Jonesy. His phone rang. Yeah, Julio. Are you kidding me? You can see the car? How long have they been following you? Massachusetts plates. We're screwed if Fiori's down here. Charlie stood and walked over to the other chair. He sat down and just stared at the wall and smiled. Fury? asked Jones. Who else would be chasing Bumcat Jonesy? What? That's just great, Dulio. Then he'll talk. Get down to the expedition now, Dulio. Look for us in the parking lot in a few minutes. What? Are you kidding me? This is not good. I'll call you back. Good morning, said Charlie, smiling. Coco swung toward Jones. Jonesy. The car with mass plates is chasing Bumcat. Just flipped over a stone wall and disappeared down the hill. The cops are going to be all over this now. So will Fiori. Bumcat was heading onto the state road. How do we get Charlie out of here, Coco? Tammy. Who's Tammy? 
asked Jones. Coco half smiled. <laughs> Just somebody I know. Coco picked up the room phone. Get me Tammy in physical therapy. Oh, I get it now, <laughs> said Jones with an inflection in his voice. Shut up, Jonesy. Do I know you, young man? asked Charlie. Matthias Jones. Charlie DePiro, he said, standing, his dark eyes sparkling as he held out his hand. His grip was stronger than Jones would have thought. Quiet, said Coco from the phone. Watch your manners, buddy, said Charlie. Who is he? Coco. Ah, Coco Bean. Good things are good. Hey, Tammy, it's me. Sure, sure, we can go out again. I'm glad you liked it. Jones raised his brows. This is a Code 7. Yeah, I need you to bring Harold down to therapy. What? No, right now. We'll be down there pronto. Yeah, yeah, I love you too. Jones closed his eyes for a second and shook his head. Don Juan. Cool it, bro. What's a code seven? asked Jones. It means Charlie's going bye-bye. A slender brunette with stunning eyes wore beige pants and a blue jersey marked Easy Living. She waved with her fingers from the door at Coco as she wheeled Charlie in his blue bathrobe into the physical therapy room. An elderly woman was working with the parallel bars, and a white-haired man was brought up a few stairs one at a time and back down again. Tammy sashayed over to Coco near the terrace doors. Coco moved everyone to the table in the corner. Code 7? said Tammy. Coco pointed at her. Yeah, we're taking him out of here. You really taking him away, Johnny? asked Tammy in almost a whisper. Yeah, look, Tammy, said Coco as he looked around and into the corridor. We can walk around the building like we always do. The other physical therapist led the elderly woman out of the rehab area and into the corridor. He'll need blankets. We're going outside. Tammy nestled up against Coco. What about Saturday night? There's bull riding at Rancheros, Johnny. Or you can ride whatever you want. Whoa. She let her fingers pass under Coco's chin. Jones half smiled as she blinked her eyes on the way out. I'll get Harold some blankets. Yeah, you do that, Tammy. Coco watched her leave and then looked at Jones. Tamara, the goddess of the night. Yeah, that's great, Johnny. Watch it, Jonesy, he said, pointing his finger at Jones. Good morning, said Charlie. Yeah, Charlie, it's a good morning if we get out of here real quick, said Coco, looking toward the parking lot. Where the hell is Julio? We do need to leave here now, said Jones. I understand that, Jonesy. These grounds are exquisite. Charlie said to Jones. What do you think, buddy? Yeah, exquisite, Charlie, answered Jones. Coco was on the cell phone. Julio, we gotta get out of here right now. What? How did he know that? I don't like it. We can't leave that blabbermouth bum cat with Bisbee. Listen, just come up to the parking lot near the maintenance receiving area. Tammy's getting the blankets for the boss. What happened? asked Jones. Bisbee had a tail on Bumcat. The two guys from Mass are either dead or in the ER. I ain't sure. Fury? Not our problem. We're heading for Jersey and Bumcat is on his way to the station under arrest. Well, that's good news, said Jones, grinning. But Billy will talk, no doubt about it. Yeah, then we're all screwed. You have to break him out, Jonesy. Me? asked Jones. Bisbee likes you. He gave you a car. 
We'll take Bumcat to Jersey with us. If I leave the car over here, they'll link it to Charlie's disappearance. I need to put it back in the station lot. We got no time. Coco and Jones stood atop a barrier wall and scanned the lower parking lot. Then Jones glanced back to the physical therapy room, but he didn't see Charlie or Tammy. Where's Dulio? Who the hell knows? Something went wrong. We're going to have to get Charlie back to the room. The door closed near the maintenance receiving area behind Jones. As he turned, a slender middle-aged man in a white coat and the crooked-toothed nurse from the lobby approached. The slender mustache man held out a handgun. Where are you going? Spitzer. What's the problem? asked Coco. The problem is Charlie is all blanketed up like he's being taken out of here. I saw them on the corridor monitor, said Nurse Crapo. Spitzer's dark eyes focused on Jones. And his buddy, Coach Jones from Hamilton College. I'm sure you know who I am, said Spitzer. Nurse Crapo, get back to your station. You'll be rewarded for your surveillance. Crapo sneered at Jones as she retreated inside the facility. Coco stepped up to Spitzer's gun. You got the wrong impression here. You two are all done. He waved the gun back to the maintenance door. It's not nice to disrupt protocol, Coco. Inside. They marched toward the rusted door. So... You drugged the boss back in Boston years ago before the boss was shipped out to this pit. Very good, Coco. Spitzer covered them with a the gun as he opened the door. Jones and Coco were escorted in as Spitzer taunted them from behind. You double-crosser, said Coco. You're the sucker who came down here like Charlie Diaper was some kind of god. Coco stopped and then moved towards Spitzer, who thrust out the gun. Nobody calls me a sucker. You won't have to worry about that anymore. He pointed to the open storage room next to the docking bay door. In the room. When I get out of this cookie factory, I'm going to break your neck, said Coco. My friend, I have my orders. You aren't getting out, sucker. Jones rushed Spitzer. Coco kicked the gun out of the doctor's hand as Jones tackled him to the floor. Coco had scrambled across the concrete and retrieved the gun. He stepped forward with the gun and pointed it directly at the doctor. So I'm a sucker, am I, Spitzer? You're going to be doing time, pal, and Fiori right along with you. Fat chance. Now you get in that storage room, yelled Coco nose to nose with Spitzer. And you keep your hands on your head. Spitzer raised his hands to his head. Stop right there, cried Crapo. She carried a shotgun. Drop it, Stefani. Damn, mumbled Coco as he dropped the gun. And your phones, shouted Spitzer. Spitzer picked up the phones and the gun. Coco thrust his arm back when Spitzer shoved him forward. With the gun, Crapo guided Jones inside. Then one of them slammed the door. That witch was watching us on the cameras, said Coco. Why leave us in here, asked Jones. Coco looked down at the shelves of chemicals and cleaners. No other exit. Spitzer can't afford to have us rat him out, said Jones. No shit, Sherlock. The sound of a truck idling outside resonated on the shelves and walls. What the hell? Within a few seconds, Spitzer's plan became evident. Exhaust soon flooded through the louvered vent at the base of the door. Jones pushed his back against the rounded vent hose. 
I always thought I'd get shot when I died, said Coco, searching the shelves. You're sitting there, ain't gonna stop it, Jonesy. Carbon monoxide prevents oxygen from being taken around the body. I don't need a play-by-play. -play. He pulled a tarp off the bottom shelf and threw it to Jones. Jones covered the folded tarp over the opening, but the heavy exhaust still leaked into the storage room. It's not working. Yeah, we're screwed. As the engine hummed outside, both Coco and Jones kicked at the vent. Although they bent the aluminum slats, they could not dislodge the vents. Both men slowly collapsed to the floor. You made a great try, Jonesy, said Coco with heavy eyelids. Spitzer, what a slime ball. Jones had reality gaps like a strobe light when he did not process anything. And fatigue set in. Coco was right. What a stupid way to die. His eyes were closed when he heard what sounded like an explosion and the door blew off its hinges before tumbling over like a cartwheel. Jones felt the fresh air, but he could not keep his eyes open. Someone lifted him into the air. He opened his eyes as Dulio carried both Coco and Jones toward the waiting SUV in the second bag. Tammy stood next to the open hatch as Dulio set them down. Where the hell have you been, Dulio? Snapped Coco in a low voice, picking up the boss. Jones just stared at him. Hey, Jonesy. Dulio? Coco climbed in ahead of Jones as Tammy got in the back seat with Charlie. Hey, Charlie, you all right? Asked Coco. Good morning. Yeah, he's okay, said Coco as Dulio got behind the wheel and started the expedition. Tammy, how did you get the boss in the car? When I saw Spitzer, I brought Mr. Dean, or whatever his name is, out the south entrance. Your uncle was along the road and spotted us. Good going, said Coco. Tulio, we still have to get Bumcat out of the Hooskar. Okay. Tulio drove in first gear up the police station hill. Across the street, several cruisers were parked diagonally near the entrance. He located Billy standing next to the driver's side of the Chief's SUV cruiser. Why is Billy standing near the cruiser? asked Coco. He's got to be cuffed to the car and run, said Julio. Good point, said Jones. Good morning, Charlie blurted. Who are you? he asked Jones. He's the big bad wolf, said Coco, tossing the cigarette out the window. Good things are good. You need to get Bumcat away from the cops, Dulio. Dulio's SUV moved up the hill and crept into the police station parking lot. Coco in front and Jones and Charlie in the second seat. Blue and white cruiser Mark Chief was parked behind the main building. Bisbee spoke with three of his officers as two men were brought into the building. To his surprise, Billy was handcuffed to the chrome door handle of the SUV. Those are Fiori's guys, said Jones. You don't know that, Jonesy. I ain't never seen him before. Coco lit a cigarette. Dulio, go do what you gotta do. Dulio left the SUV running. He nodded and opened the door. Jones turned to Coco. I think we should have just left Billy here. It's gonna rat you out, Jonesy. Is that what you want? But we'll be gone. Jones looked at Charlie, staring ahead. Plus, they'll track us down the highway. Uncle Dulio has it all worked out. And how is that? Don't worry about it. He pulled out his billfold and handed Tammy five $100 bills. Tammy will get you to the bus station. Take the bus to Boston and then the Bangor bus. You get off at the Prince William, New Hampshire stop. Take a taxi to Club Max on Front Street. You'll find Bruno. He'll know who you are. 
Okay, Johnny. Jones lips smiled. Something uh, funny there, Matt? Good things are good, said Jones. Right, answered Coco. The door opened and Dulio shoved the grubby Billy inside the expedition. A pair of chrome handcuffs attached Billy to a door handle. Dulio shut the door. Hey, so what's new, boys? Dulio began backing up. What's new? shouted Coco. You fool! You get tailed by Fiori's guys and the cops. And then Spitzer's called at the rest home. You're a piece of work. Dulio slowly went in reverse around the parking lot. Oh, yeah? shouted Billy. You should be trying to find Charlie DePiro rather than chickening out. He's sitting right next to you, idiot boy. Cool. Billy looked around the floor. I need an ice cold frosty. I don't think I can take any more of this guy, Dulio. Dulio continued down the road in reverse. We go through the Boy Scout camp to the forestry trail, said Dulio. Then we uh, go out to the power line through the hills. How do you know this? asked Jones. I had a week to map this out, Jonesy, said Dulio from behind the wheel. Come on. Coco flipped on the local police channel. Bisbee still did not know that Billy was missing. Ha, he's as sharp as a tack, isn't he, Dulio? Good things are good, said Charlie. Things will be good when we get to Jersey, Charlie. The Life and Times of Charlie Diaper Chapter 16 Colonial House Restaurant, Main Street, Hamilton, New Hampshire, April 18th, 5.30 p.m. Franny left the Colonial House after the shift, and immediately upon stepping on the sidewalk, she called Jones' cell. This is Coach Jones. I'm out and about. Leave a message at the tone. Matthias, it's me, the little woman, she said, laughing at her own jokes since she was five foot eight, waiting for the recap of the day and seeing if you made any progress and if you were still alive. McShane, over and out. She slipped the phone into her soft leather pocketbook and continued up the sidewalk toward the train bridge. Although she trusted Jones both in his judgment and his physical ability, she remained apprehensive. No doubt Fiore was chasing him with Miller's girlfriend in a coma. She tried not to let her fear run away. She stopped on the bridge and looked up the rails toward the Dua's lumber yards, stacks of wood a couple hundred yards up the tracks. A hand squeezed her shoulder and she gasped as she saw two men in formal coats. What do you want? We your babysitters, baby, said a man with milky blue eyes. She gripped the bridge rail. I got news for you. I'm not leaving this bridge. I'd hate to shoot you right out in the open, said the acne-faced man. Franny stepped toward him. You're not shooting anyone out here on Main Street. Grab her, Eddie, he said as the pug-faced Eddie locked his arm around her arm. Arm in arm. You like dates, Franny? Who are you? She yelled as they steered her back toward the sidewalk. I got no answers for you, darling, replied Eddie, his yellow teeth exposed as they marched her down the sidewalk toward her house. Ahead, Bucky Driscoll looked in both directions outside the bank door. He began walking toward Franny and the two men. Hey, does Matthias know you're out partying, Franny? <laughs> Bucky, she said, opening her eyes wide and signaling with her head. Don't worry, my lips are sealed. Bucky, she cried as they led her forward. Hey, say hi to your other half. I need a job. Franny shook her head as they approached her house. A small blue Toyota, parked further down the curb, sent the realization in fear that she was about to be abducted. With her abductors holding her arms, 
She passed a few students heading back toward the college. Where are you taking me? You'll know when we get there, darling. Up ahead, Locke and Flo, arm in arm, emerged through the gate to their mutual houses. Maybe now she could break the abductor's grasp. Locke wore a green blazer and in the thin flow wore a red turtleneck and a windbreaker. For a second, Franny thought she would escape the clutches of Eddie and his pal. Hello, Franny. I'm just out for an evening stroll with Mrs. Larson. Hello, Miss McShane, or should I say, the future Mrs. Jones, said Flo in her squeaky voice as Lark also chuckled. Ho, 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 ho. Are you and your friends enjoying the evening? asked Lark, pausing at the gate. They aren't my friends, Lark. Or relatives? asked Lark. Call George Strickland. I'm being taken against my will. Whose will? asked Lark as Eddie drew a 9mm silver handgun. Help me! Oh, I see you're going to the shooting range, Will, said Lark. Lark is a crack shot, said Flo. Eddie pushed Franny along toward the blue SUV. Have a good evening, Franny, said Lark as they crossed the street. Hidey-ho! A horned Doppler blare filled Main Street as a group of kids from the school swerved away. Lark raised his hand to acknowledge them, oblivious to almost being run down, and continued with Flo to the common. Get inside, lady, said Eddie. We're heading south. Sir Honkson Gas, Route 309, Sir Honkson, New York, April 18th, 11.53 p.m. Before midnight, Dulio counted out the cash for fuel at a two-pump station along the back road that ran through a town with an unpronounceable Indian name. Jones had just called Franny's cell phone from an old payphone back inside the convenience store. Why isn't she answering? asked Jones. Jonesy, it's almost midnight. She's sleeping. Call her in the morning. Jones pinched the bridge of his nose. Right. Coco, smoking a cigarette, approached Jones. Hey, Jonesy, I know it looks bad. It is bad. We ain't done nothing wrong, and we got permission from Joey DePiro to bring Charlie to Jersey. What about this drug thing from your Professor Dumbbell? Doombaum. Right. So you think it's possible that Charlie has this pseudo-dementia? Who knows? Plus, he needs his damn meds, according to Spitzer. Joey can get another prescription once we're at his house. At the store entrance, Billy's voice screeched like a raccoon getting caught scrounging through a food cooler. Coco turned. What the hell kind of crap is that goofball pulling now? Billy gripped the plastic surrounding a six-pack of Minnewasker ale. You think you're this big hulk who can push people around, Dulio? Well, do you? asked Billy. Dulio just laughed from the driver's seat. <laughs> you got a problem with that, bumcat? asked Coco. Huh? What? Who? He raised his hand, still handcuffed to the door handle. And it's Bobcat, not Bumcat. The handle stays on till we get to Jersey, Bumcat. Wait till I write my story. Just wait. Coco strut up to the shorter Billy. I got news for you, doofus. You ain't writing nothing. Where in New Jersey, Coco? Coco spoke over his shoulder. Bridgeton. Good. Then we can take a breather. Joey told me the side entrance to the house is open. You can try Franny again in the morning. And Jonesy. Yeah, said Jones, turning as Dulio started the expedition. It ain't over yet.
The Life and Times of Charlie Diaper, Chapter 17, State Highway 435, West Fremont, Pennsylvania, April 19th, 7.15 a.m. The morning sun burst into the expedition when they crossed the mountain ridge on the state road. Coco put on his silver-rimmed sunglasses. Why the hell does it take so long to get to Jersey? shouted Billy. One beer remained on the six-pack. This is rural Pennsylvania. Real bright taking this road. Hey, dummy, said Coco, turning. You want to take the main road and get taken in or be found by those creeps that have been shooting at us? Jonesy was right. We should have left you with the other doofus, Bisbee. You said that, coach? asked Billy as Jones looked across the valley out the window. Yeah, Billy, I said it. You've got a big mouth. Billy finished the beer and crunched the smooth can that produced a crazy facial expression. Then he threw the can on the floor. Pick up those cans, snapped Julio from the front wheel. Oh, yes, sir, replied Billy, saluting. Hey, Jones, said Charlie, lifting his dark brows. Yeah, Charlie. Charlie leaned forward and spoke in almost a whisper. Why are you here? Whoa! At this point, I'll be damned if I know, said Jones. Hey, Charlie! Who am I? Good morning. Good things are good. He called you Jones, said Coco. Charlie smiled. Hey, Charlie, who am I? Charlie did not answer. Coco turned around. Coco slowly looked in the back seat. Charlie smiled again. Good morning. Charlie, who are you? I like car rides. Billy opened the last beer can. You want a drink, Charlie? Asked Billy. Charlie just stared ahead. Hey, hey, hey! No drinks for Charlie, said Coco. What's the matter? Can't hold his liquor? Coco leaped over the seat and grabbed Billy by the shirt, spilling the beer on the seat. You listen to me, beer for brains. I'm this far, he said, holding up his finger and thumb as if he were going to pinch something, from pushing you down that mountain. Got it? Right. Never mind right. Jonesy, shut this guy up. Billy laughed. Sure. (laughs) Jonesy, open the damn door. Jones grinned and opened the door. The wind swirled around the car, sweeping up some trash into the air and out the door. Hey, big storm coming, said Charlie. Coco began pushing Billy toward Jones and the open door. Okay, okay, I'll shut up. Good, said Coco, and Jones closed the door. I need another beer. You get Jack, bumcat, said Coco, turning to Dulio. How much longer, Dulio? Two hours tops. Think you can hold it together, Billy? asked Coco. Billy slurped the rest of the beer from the bottom of the can. You don't know who you're dealing with. Coco banged the console. Don't push me, Billy. Billy made duck lips and nodded. Then he stared out the window. Jones saw him pretending to type, probably referring to his article. He locked eyes with Billy and then just shook his head. Coco dragged Billy away from the front door of Picnic Patty's family food near the New Jersey border. Hey, I was on the phone with the club, said Coco, and I got a deal with you arguing with the waitress? It was a simple order. She don't have hamburgers with mushrooms, bacons, and sausage, you damn fool. The last thing we need, idiot, is to make a scene. Then get your paws off me. You're going to disappear, bumcat. I'm feeling jiggy. Feel it somewhere else, said Coco as he headed for Jones, munching on a hamburger at the outside picnic table. 
All right, I got information from Bruno. Tammy arrived at the club this morning, and Fiore was indicted yesterday. 21 counts on the logbook. Mail, wire fraud, you name it. Bruno has people on the ground. Fiore's going to blame the whole thing on the boss. He knows we have Charlie, said Jones, crushing the burger wrapper, and he wiped his lips with one of the small napkins. No kidding. That's why we need Joey to help us. I still can't reach Franny. Call him when we get to Joey's. Good burgers, said Charlie next to Jones and still in his bathrobe. They are good, answered Jones. Good things are good, added Charlie. Fury was always a punk, said Dulio, biting into half of his hamburger. Several burgers were still on his tray and three wrappers. Have some lunch, Dulio. Get a problem with my lunch? Forget it. Bruno thinks those New York tags belong to a company and not an individual. A New York company? asked Jones. Bruno's working on it, okay, Jonesy? Coco looked at Jones's plate. Only two burgers, Jonesy? Uncle Dulio's putting you to shame. Where's Billy? asked Jones as he stood and looked around. I don't need him, A-W-O-L, said Coco as he and Jones trotted along the grass toward the highway. Billy was bent over and pawing through the green roadside trash can. Hey, Billy, get back to the table said Jones. What are you, a dog looking for your next meal, Fido? You never know what you'll find in the trash. Yeah, you're living proof of that, bumcat. You heard, Jonesy. Get back to the table. Dulio had finished his burgers and drank his milkshake through a straw. Let's get the hell out of here, said Dulio. Less than two hours left, Coco. Coco looked at the crumpled burger wrappers. Let's hope you don't get hungry, Dulio. A late model red pickup continuously trailed the expedition several hundred yards down the straightaway. The truck's been following us for close to a half an hour, said Jones, looking back. I see him, Jonesy, said Coco, checking the mirror. What are those jamokes doing here on this road to nowhere? He opened the glove compartment and handed Jones a heavy 44 Magnum. Jonesy, said Dulio, taking the second gun. There's two tops in the back. Drag him to the front seat. Jones unbuckled his seatbelt and quickly pulled the black tarp into the back seat. Oh, what'd you guys steal now? asked Billy as Dulio gained speed. Shut up, bumcat, said Coco as he removed an automatic weapon from the tarp. Huh? What? Who? Keep your head down. We don't want any beer leaking out of you if we get hit. A bullet cracked the rear window and ripped the dash. Here we go. Two men propped in the passenger side window fired from the truck as Dulio zigzagged across the road. Jones heard shots, but no more bullets hit the expedition. During Dulio's driving maneuvers, Jones and Billy were thrown over Charlie as Coco fired from the front window. Dulio accelerated down the straightaway, but the pickup closed in and opened another garage. This time, the expedition's rear window shattered, and a couple of tires blew out. Dulio fought to control the car as he struggled along the guardrail overlooking the valley. Now he was driving on the tire rims. Dulio slowed the SUV and skidded to a stop along the guardrail. Jersey plates, 2K6747. I want to know how Fiori is tracking us. As more shots rang out, Coco and Dulio flipped the door handles. Jones dove into the back toward the open rear hatch. Two men with rifles ran from the truck. Another man with two handguns emerged from the passenger side. 
As Dulio and Coco unloaded their weapons, all three men retreated to the truck bed. The truck began to back down the road and swung around 180 degrees. Jones shot at the rear tires as the truck gained speed down the hill. More shots from Coco and Dulio sent the truck spinning out of control. It hit the guardrail and careened over the edge. Billy, his rear end sticking upward and hands over his head, looked up from the floor. Are we dead? I love the sound of good solid gunfire, said Charlie. Good things are good. Jones leaped from the outside and followed Coco and Dulio to the broken guardrail. From the top of the hill, Jones looked in the distance several hundred feet down the mountainside in the woods. The truck had flipped upside down and smashed into a huge oak tree, but there was no fire. Let's get the hell out of here before somebody finds us, said Coco. They may still be alive, said Jones. We can't leave them dying. Jonesy, the truck is a half a mile down the mountain on a straight drop. They're dead. Somebody tipped them off, said Jones. Dulio, shut off your phone. It's been off. You all right, Jonesy? asked Dulio as Jones looked down the mountain again. If I thought they were alive, Jonesy, I'd pull them out. Okay, Dulio, thanks. We're just lucky we're in the sticks, said Coco. We're almost at Joey's place, then we can relax. The Life and Times of Charlie Diaper Chapter 18 43 Bismarck Drive, Bridgeton, New Jersey April 19th, 10.47 a.m. Bridgeton's dense housing made Avondale appear as an outpost in the Connecticut hills. Dulio moved along the huge multi-winged homes with spreading grass lawns and private fenced-in areas to the road. I understand, Bruno. We're shutting off this phone when we get to where we're going. No, we're within minutes of pulling into Joey's yard. You don't tell Carfield nothing. We'll handle strategy down here, probably with Joey's lawyers. Okay, call me. Coco looked at Dulio. The information on the plates is coming from Boston. So what do we do? Give it to the lawyers? Asked Jones. First, let's see how this plays out, replied Coco. Are you going to take this damn door handle off my arm? Shouted Billy. We'll see. Hey, buddy, shut up, said Charlie. Then he stared out the window. You all right, Charlie? Asked Coco. Charlie continued to gawk out the window as if he had expended his energy talking to Billy. Take a ride on Bismarck, said Coco. Dulio's cell phone sounded. Yeah, Bruno. Pagani Construction, Hemet, New York. 20 miles from Avondale. Wait, Miller worked for Pagani, said Jones. Construction companies have explosives, said Dulio, turning on to Bismarck. Especially dynamite. Bingo, said Billy. You stay out of this, bumcat. How would Pagani involve Fiori? asked Jones. I never heard Jonathan mention Pagani, said Coco, but who knows what the hell he's into. If Pagani is involved, that explains someone planting dynamite in Miller's car, said Jones. But if Fiori was connected, why send someone down from New York? Exactly. Somebody else is running the show, said Charlie. Whoa, said Coco turning. Charlie continued looking out the window. Why do you say that, boss? Charlie turned. The strain was evident in his brown eyes. State of New York, incorporation. He's right, said Jones. We need to find out 
who's in the ownership of Pagani Construction. And you were right about the meds, Jonesy. Charlie's coming out of it. We're all suckers. This is one hell of a story buster, said Billy. It's perfecto. Told you, you ain't right nothing, Bumcat. Dulio pulled up to a gate with two wide turrets and a lengthy fence. Stabani? Asked a voice in the speaker. Yeah, said Dulio. The yellow gate moved upward. They moved up an asphalt drive toward a massive stucco beige house with four stories. Dulio parked behind a yellow Audi convertible. The front doors opened and a tall man with closely cropped brown hair moved down the steps. Jones moved out of the expedition. Coco, good to see you again, said the lanky man in a brown suit as he shook hands with Coco. His smooth skin and fixed expression gave him the appearance of a department store mannequin. He wore baggy shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. Joey, we're in possession of information that will sink Mr. Fiore, said Coco. Who are you? asked Charlie, standing near the rear bumper. It's me, Joey, said Joey as he walked across the drive and up to his father. Something isn't right, Joey, said Charlie. What is this place? Has he had his medication? asked Joey. No, said Coco. We've been on the road. Look, Joey, there may be some problems here. Let's go inside and we'll talk. Joey nodded to the two men by the garage. Jones wondered why Joey's men accompanied them into the house. And Joey did not even question Billy's identity. Jones stepped into a voluminous foyer with a sweeping wood staircase. The two men stood by the front door as it closed and echoed in the foyer. I need to get to a computer, said Coco. Not possible, sir, said one of the men. Two more men moved in from the back room overlooking the terrace. Mr. DePiro, will you come with us? Me? asked Charlie. The hell is going on here? asked Coco, stepping forward. Nothing for you to be concerned about, said Joey. Oh, really? One of the men with long, dark, curly hair approached Coco. Who the hell are you? I'm Dennis, a man with a gun, he said as he frisked Coco and removed his handgun. Coco swung both arms back. Dulio took a step forward and all four men turned their guns toward him. Tough guys with the guns. Two of the guys marched Charlie toward the drawing room. You bastards are working for Fiore, yelled Coco. Jones stepped forward. No, they're not, Coco. They're working for Joey. If they knew Fiore, he would have known about easy living. But they have contacted Fiore as to where we were. Coco creased his brow and moved toward Jones. This is all bullshit. You don't need to check on the Articles of Incorporation, Coco, because you'll find either Joey's name or one of his friends on Pagani Construction. Coco looked around the foyer. What are you saying, Jonesy? He's living off Charlie's money without inheriting it. The last thing he wants is Fury moving in on the money. I'll kill the bastard. Coco shook his head. His voice screeched and echoed throughout the room. Where's Joey? Dennis spoke up. Shut up. They swung their guns toward him. Coco grit his teeth. You're a bunch of conniving gold diggers. Joey returned through the outside sliders. He motioned them outside. Followed by Joey's men, Jones panned the room for a way out. Even the flower beds around the terrace, surrounding the swimming pool, were surrounded by a huge stucco wall with no exit. Your old man, 
and you drug him up like some animal. You don't scare us. Shut up, bumcat. You want a cigarette before you die, Stefani? Joey asked Coco. You're a son of a bitch. You killed four of Albert Fury's men with your crap, said Joey. Get the umbrella stabilizers. You think Fiore's gonna let you or Charlie live? asked Jones. Fiore will blame the logbook scandal on my father. Be free and clear. So, you're working for Fiore? No, I work for myself. Yeah, with Charlie's money, said Coco. Joey's two men carried rounded iron weights used to secure outside table umbrellas. You won't have to worry about that. None of you will. Hey, I don't want to die! said Billy in a whiny voice. Let me live! Shut up, you loser, said Joey. Steve, tie one of the weights around the big guy's leg. Dennis, walk him up the diving board. I'll crush your skulls, said Dulio. Four men surrounded the pool. They lifted guns toward Dulio. The other man looped a rope around Dulio's ankle. Dulio stared at him with a burning intensity. Then they tightened the rope. Dulio's face reddened with anger as they shuffled him onto the diving board. You're next, Stefani. Screw you. Then we'll shoot you and dump you in with the pig. Go to hell, yelled Coco as he kicked the guy with the rope anyways. Dump the garbage in the pool. Steve lifted the weight and hoisted it over the diving board. Dulio jumped and disappeared in a splash into the pool. Dulio jacked up toward the drawing room entrance. Two of the men descended upon him. To Jones's surprise, Billy whipped the door handle into the first man's jaw, dropping him instantly. He spun around and caught the second man in the throat. Perfecto! Jones pounded his fist into Steve's face and swung upward with a left hook. He ran like a lineman and lifted Steve into the pool. Shots cut through the outside air, and Jones dove onto the concrete. Less than a foot away, Dulio emerged from the water like a leviathan from the deep and rolled on the cement. He lifted one of the other umbrella weights and, like a discus, sent it airborne into the chest with the man with the gun. Something cracked and the man was thrown lifeless into the bushes. Hold it! shouted the curly-haired Dennis, raising his weapon. Line him up! Execute him! ordered Joey. We ain't moving! Kill him! The man pointed his gun toward Coco. More shots reverberated around the pool. The man fell to the concrete. Jones and Coco turned to the right. Charlie, holding a long-barreled chrome handgun, shuffled forward in his bathrobe. Joey, still in pain, stumbled backward. You disloyal maggot, said Charlie in a loud, clear voice. Dad, Dad, I had no choice. Fury made me do it. Liar. Charlie kept moving forward. You disgraced yourself because you're weak. You never could make it on your own. Don't kill me, said Joey. One of Joey's men clutched onto the sidewall and stood. Dulio, without looking directly at him, popped him with a quick jab. The man flipped over the retaining wall and slid down the concrete. Dulio crossed his arms as if nothing had happened. Joey backtracked along the pool. Don't worry, Joey. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to send word out. Word out on the street is how you ratted to the feds about the logbook. See how long you last against Albert Fiore. Fiore's in a court case. Charlie produced a smile that lasted only a second like a flashbulb. 
You explain that to him. As far as I'm concerned, I ain't got a son. You want me to tie him up, Charlie? Asked Coco. He's free to go. See what it's like to live in fear, Joey. Party's over. Let me work for you, Dad. Get him out of here, Dulio, ordered Charlie. Yes, sir. And the rest of you, Jonesy and your pal. Thanks. I'm not 100% yet, but Charlie DePiro doesn't forget his friends. Dulio's phone sounded. Yeah. Come on, no way. He said, looking at Jones. He waved Charlie over to listen in on the call, and then he put it on speaker. Are you there, pal? Who is this? This is Albert Fury. Charlie's eyes and mouth tightened as he stared at the phone. You have a choice. We want Charlie DePiro. I don't know nothing, said Dulio. Charlie put his index finger over his lips. Here's the deal. We have Jones's girl. Jones ran forward, but Charlie raised his right hand. Jones began breathing rapidly. You bring Charlie dead or alive to 4535 Covington Apartments on the Jamaica Way at high noon. I'll even give you leeway to 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Where's the girl? asked Julio. She'll be there. Charlie, for the girl. Then he hung up. Who the hell does that guy think he is? I'm gonna kill him! yelled Jones as he ran toward Dulio's phone. Wait, Jonesy, said Coco as he held Jones back. Hold it, said Charlie, sitting on the sofa. We'll do exactly like little Albert wants. Charlie, you don't understand. Fury controls everything now. I get it, Coco. This is a wonderful opportunity. They want you dead, said Coco. Lots of people have wanted me dead. Sir, Fiore's already been indicted. He's going down and he'll be in jail forever. Charlie smiled. I guarantee you, his lawyers are the best. And he has his people all around him. People we need to convince are the lawyers. Then if he gets into court, he'll have nothing. They have Franny, shouted Jones. And their heads snapped in unison toward him. I can't let her get hurt. Nothing's going to happen to your girl, kid. I guarantee you. Franny is abducted and could have been freed if the not-too-smart Lark and Flo realized she was being kidnapped. Charlie is taken out of the nursing home by Coco, Jones, and Dulio, with Billy Bobcat in the rear seat. Charlie slowly regains his facilities once he's weaned off the drugs. In New Jersey, in shootouts with Joey Jr., Charlie, back to his old self, paves the way to go after Albert Fiore in Boston. But the kidnapped Franny is being used as a trade for Charlie DePiro. Next time, the raucous conclusion of the life and times of Charlie Diaper by Robert P. Fitton. Let's head up to Boston. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com. And here's a real nifty factoid. You can listen to all my audiobooks without interruption on audible.com. Just type in Robert P. Fitton. Thank you and good night.